Thank you and welcome to another episode of There is a System to this Madness podcast. I am your host, Osaze Shabazz. Today is May 6, 2020. Some things want to discuss, things that's on my mind. First and foremost, I did not hear about this story about Ahmaud Arbery. My understanding that this killing took place on the 23rd of February. It wasn't until probably two weeks ago that I actually started hearing about this story through Facebook. Uh, pretty much before I actually saw the video, the story was that 25-year-old black man, Ahmaud Aubrey, was suspected by two white men or fit in the description of a suspect that was breaking and entering into homes and they decided to take it upon themselves to get in their pickup truck, get their guns and chase after him. Pretty much um, a fight breaks out and surprisingly the person, the black man without the gun, the unarmed black man, is shot and killed. Then, of course, the friend of the family just happened to be a prosecutor, decides that nothing was done because in Georgia, there's a law that states that citizens have the right to, I guess, take the law into their hands and I guess self-defense plays into this situation because they are two men versus one and the two men each have guns. In fact, the description was one had a 357 Magnum revolver and a shotgun, which both are powerful weapons. But of course, you know, he's going to go on the statutes that they have the right to arrest a suspect. I mean, can you imagine what that could really mean for people of color? If white people just start suspecting you of anything and they can just walk up to you and just start trying to arrest you. I mean, can we imagine how that's going to turn out? It wasn't until yesterday that a video has now surfaced. And, I mean, <laughs> this is crazy. They literally hunted this young man down and shot him for nothing. They want to say that he attacked back. Yeah, they... They cornered him with guns, so he's thinking, you know, he don't know what, you know, what's going on. So they corner him as if they are about to attack. So he goes into a a mode of self-defense. But, you know, the two white men, they are, you know, they're the victims. And, you know, of course, you know, they gave a history of 
Gregory McMichaels, the 64-year-old father who calls on his son, uh, I think what Travis McMichael, he basically sees Aubrey running. They load up their pickup truck, grab their guns, chase him, and it states that they actually cornered him. And then from there, Aubrey turns around and runs in another direction, basically like, okay, I'm going to avoid you all. And then they corner him again. A fight breaks out and he's shot twice. This is, this is open and shut. But at the same time, you know, they, they want to say, well, it's justified because he looked, he looked like a suspect. You know, where, where, where did they get the suspect from? Where, I mean, is McMichaels, you know, and I get it. They say he was a police officer and an investigator for the DA's office. So, of course, there goes the connection again. But where does he get this, this call? Somebody called him on his police band radio and says, hey, black male fitting Aubrey's description just robbed this place. No, that's not, that's not, that's, that's nothing to what happened. They saw this black man, by the way, the Aubrey lives from my understanding, a block over from where he's gunned down. So he's in his neighborhood. It's just that these two white men never seen him before. So the first thing they're thinking is, we're going to gun him down. I mean, originally, what they really was thinking that is that we're going to play with this. We're going to play with him. We're going to play with his mind. We're going to, you know, basically welcome him to the neighborhood because there's no doubt in my mind they had an idea who he was. There's no doubt in my mind that based on other accounts, he was jogging on his, his regular daily routine because it said, you know, things like he was, you know, excelled in as an athlete, you know, had a dream of playing in the NFL so this guy was pretty much in condition so this was not the first day it was like oh guys I'm gonna go run for the first time in my new mostly white neighborhood they seen this guy run by them several times but they're like this day we're gonna mess with him we're gonna play with him we're gonna pull out our guns and we're gonna harass him and that harassment went terribly wrong. So it's no doubt in my mind, this is premeditated. This was premeditated murder. First degree premeditated murder by these two individuals. And these two individuals should get, they, this is a prime example of what the death penalty is about and it's caught on videotape and then you got the the prosecutor whose name is George E. Barnhill who is connected to the McMichaels family 
is going to sit there and say that they had the right to do this because they suspected him of breaking and entering or robbing homes in that neighborhood and this man is in he's in workout clothes i mean you think about it who who does that who puts on workout clothes and just go breaking and entering in people homes in broad daylight come on this is you know this is where people don't understand things are never it's, it's impossible for this society to heal it's, 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 it's impossible and like I said you know I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention but you know honestly I have I had not heard about this story until recently and this is something that took place back in February but I, you know and I get yeah we got the coronavirus and stuff to that nature however the coronavirus really didn't I guess take off till the first first part of March but this story for some reason it it was not it was not um published and like I said I found out about I found out about it through Facebook but it just it just makes you mad when you read stuff like this and I guess the thing that probably bothers me the most is I get the uproar from the black community and you know this even goes back to you know police brutality where is the uproar from overall society where is the uproar from white people because I guarantee if there was a video where these two men shot a dog in the same manner people would be protesting and marching up and down their streets right now and see we as people we as black people we know this we know that the outcome would be different and I would even you go out you know I would say if this was a white person there would be a whole different scenario but I know good well if that was a dog that was shot in that same manner this would be a whole different we would have heard about this would have happened on February 23rd February 24th this story would have been in major news a video of two white men directly shooting a dog for just running up the street every night we would be hearing about this story every night now through the use of the video this story is now making headlines it's on the morning news stories and it's getting the traction is in the New York Times you know the Atlanta Journal Constitution has published more about it it seemed like it was slow traction from them and like I said you know this is 
in Brunswick, Georgia. So let's see, you know, I hope and pray that, you know, I, you know, I even hate to say I hope and pray that justice is served because justice today is, is worthless. You know, it's, it's worthless. The fact that, you know, you got a prosecutor that, you know, says no charges have been filed because they acted in the scopes of Georgia citizen arrest statute. Then you find out, you know, he's a friend of of the McMichaels family. Then, you know, finally, you know, he recused himself from the case. And, you know, they did take the steps of bringing a prosecutor from another county. And let's see what that person, because this, you know, new prosecutor is in charge. And he's going to determine whether the case should be presented before a grand jury. For real? Really? You've got to go through that just to see if this case has merit? The fact that, you know, I mean, oh gosh. But anyway, you know, hopefully justice, whatever justice is defined in this situation, because it's not going to bring Mr. Aubrey back. Is not going to bring this son back to his mother. But whatever they deem justice, I hope that is it's rendered. Changing the subject, let's talk more about the coronavirus. It's still among us. What is interesting is a lot of countries that have taken that have been taking the right precautions, steadfast to their stay-at-home policies and whatnot, have starting are starting to see a decrease in cases, a decrease in the number of deaths, except the good old United States of America, because of our leadership that is allowing other leaders which those leaders are allowing the uneducated masses to control the the outcome to control whether or not they should have the rights to stay home and all these type of you know scenarios by protesting which, you know, I commend the governor of Michigan because she's holding steadfast. In fact, I think um, I read yesterday where she extended the stay-at-home policy. And, of course, if you've been keeping up with the news, you will see that a lot of these protests and whatnot has started, originated in Michigan. So pretty much I give her, I give her credit for not even... Um, capitulating to the stupidity of some of the citizens of Michigan because the stats don't lie if you undo some of these um, steps that have been taken it'll get worse now me personally yes I would love I wish there was a way that these people can go back to work and 
show that even if they went back to work without patrons of the businesses that they work in, it's still it's, it's still gonna result in them closing that business right back. I wish there was a way without any harm to no other individuals that this can be demonstrated. But unfortunately, they will prove that without the population patronizing their businesses that they're gonna close. However, to prove this theory, you're gonna to have to infect other people. So, I mean, yeah, it is what it is. Now, since our last podcast, Joe Biden has been um, pretty much moving ahead pretty well with his nomination for the Democrat Party of the presidency of the United States. In that time span, he's gotten endorsements from Hillary Clinton, uh, Bernie Sanders, when he yielded, he immediately endorsed him. Uh, he's getting endorsements from major union organizations. Uh, pretty much, of course, you know, there's with success, popularity, there's slander, and I don't downplay any allegations that a person may make. I just always question the timing in regards to when these allegations are made. Now, all of a sudden, there are individuals that are saying he did this, he said that, he touched this and other inappropriate things. So, you know, we got to wait and see because this is how things played out four years ago. And pretty much, you know, I guess if it worked before, you know, we're going to try it again. So let's see if people of this country have learned their lessons. I think like anything, when a situation happens, particularly like this virus or anything like that, it brings people together. I mean, Donald Trump, his his poll numbers, it just... It went up for a moment because it's only natural when something like this happened, people look towards leadership. But it didn't take him, it didn't take him that long to squander that. It didn't take him, you know, I mean, for real. But the thing is, this is a perfect opportunity for the Democrat Party to, first of all, unite. And then from there, have a common ground, which would be fighting this virus and finding economic stability, because I guess that's really going to be the two, and I would even say racial, racial healing, that the Democrat Party is going to have to focus on. One of the key things that everybody's talking about is Joe Biden running mate. Now, I don't know, I've heard that he has stated and that he's committed 
to finding a woman. Um, again, I'm about whoever he feels is the best that can help heal the country. Yes, as a black man, yes, I would love to see a black person in that position. A black woman, that would, you know, I would be thrilled to, to see that. Of course, you know, there are different people that he has a choice over. You know, like I said, there are issues that he needs to address and he needs a running mate that can help him put this together. I myself, I'm just, a, I'm a fan of Stacey Abram. You know, I was deeply disappointed when she lost the race for governor of the state of Georgia, which of course, you know, that's a whole story in itself. But in terms of just that understanding, intellectual black woman, I just feel that, yeah, Stacey Abram would probably be extremely qualified. I think the senator, I'm thinking she's the senator from um, Minnesota. Uh, I think it's Jill Hendebrand. I'm not even sure how to say her last name. But from her experiences, from what I've read, I believe that she, she has qualities that would be an asset to putting things back together in this country. And pretty much that's that's what I'm focusing on. It's like, it's not just beating Donald Trump. It's a person that can, once they get the keys to the house, how are they going to fix the house back up? Because you gotta realize, that first one or two years, it's, it's going to take that long just to undo the damage. It, just to go around saying, I'm going to be, you know, more politically correct, you know, doing a kumbaya with other leaders of the country and stuff like that. It's not going to be that easy, especially even in this country. It's just... It's not, it's, going, it's not going to be as easy as people think. There's a deep hole that Donald Trump has dug and it's going to take longer to dig out of that hole. So that is what a Joe Biden, now that he has, you know, he has that privilege, that honor of taking the next step but his VP candidate his his cabinet these have to be individuals that can restore the value the trust the dignity the honor of this country it's more or less to get people back he, he has to galvanize a certain mindset that Barack Obama had when he came in when he came into office and you know I'm speculating that former President Obama will help stand by um, hopefully presidential elect 
Joe Biden and offer him guidance. You know, and I mean, I'm, I'm sure when President Obama was in position, Joe Biden was there offering him guidance. So hopefully, you know, he'll return the favor. But without a doubt, it's not going to be as easy as people think it's going to be. But trust me, Donald Trump is not going to leave out of that White House easily. Changing the subjects, let's talk about the Michael Jordan documentary. <clears throat> I mean, I watched bits and pieces of it. The episode that I caught that I, I guess I paid attention more to was the part of Isaiah Thomas and pretty much I guess it was kind of confirmed that the reason why he was not on the dream team the 1992 Summer Olympics um, first dream team that took place in Barcelona was because Michael Jordan had well rumor had it that Michael Jordan was a, a, a opponent of Isaiah Thomas being put on this team when in fact you know Isaiah Thomas at that time in his playing days he was considered one of the top point guards in the NBA in fact you know people had him ranked behind um, Magic Johnson however it was always believed that during the Detroit and Chicago rivalry particularly in the NBA Finals, because a lot of people don't remember in Jordan's early careers before he started winning those championships, the biggest issue that the Bulls had was getting past the Detroit Pistons. And anybody that remember how the Detroit Pippins played, I mean, how the Detroit Pippins, I'm thinking about Scottie Pippen at the same time, um, Pistons played at that time. I mean, these guys were football players on a basketball court. I mean, there was no, no foul, you know, stuff we call now hard fouls, flagrant fouls, them, them terms didn't even hardly exist back then. It was just, if no blood was shed, it was pretty much, it was considered a foul, but it was no consequences like there are today. Whereas, you know, today, you know, players, you know, they can miss a game if they get too many flagrant fouls or they get ejected from games, technicals and stuff like that. If you get so many techs, they'll suspend you for a game and all this type of stuff. They didn't have none of that stuff like that back then. Detroit literally and physically beat Jordan and the Bulls and pretty much, you know, on that glorious season, the Bulls finally got bottom. And of course, the well, it wasn't the story because you saw it. After the Bulls beat them, they didn't um they didn't want to shake their hands after a game. And from that point, it was you know, that was it was just you know, you know, if that was a true example of unsportsmanlike behavior, 
it was demonstrated then. And of course, you know, now we move forward to the day, you know, Michael Jordan is now, you know, the GOAT, dream team, all these guys that are retired, you know, getting all these accolades and whatnot. And then there's Isaiah Thomas. And pretty much now they're asking him, you know, how do you feel about it? And, you know, now it's easy for him to say, oh, I regret it, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, you know, I, I love I love Bill Lambeer. Bill Lambeer, when they asked him, he's like, you know, that's garbage. He's like, I don't regret anything we did. We did it. That is how we played. That is how we won. You know, when Isaiah is speaking in these interviews, he's like, Isaiah is speaking for himself. Because this was, you know, he even actually went on, on to say, Isaiah Thomas was the captain. He's like, stand by your decision. This is how we played. This is what we did. And pretty much the sit there and backpedal now because, yeah, you have lost out on some things because of who Michael Jordan is today versus where you are at today. And there's no doubt that because of that play that you made back in those days, it's affecting you today. And to make it clear, it wasn't just Jordan. There were a number of players. Jordan wasn't the only one that said, I don't want Isaiah Thomas on this team. In fact, Jordan really technically didn't say publicly that this is how he felt. Other players, Magic Johnson, Karl Malone, Charles Barkley, they have come out and said, no, we did not want him on this team. In fact, Chuck Daly, a lot of people forget, Chuck Daly was the first coach of that dream team. While at the same time, Chuck Daly was the coach of that Detroit Pistons team also. And he went to bat for Isaiah Thomas to be on that team. And he even said it was a team vote. And he was outvoted by the team. It wasn't, he said, one player did not want him. It was a team vote. So those members of that dream team, Larry Bird, they did not want Isaiah Thomas on that team. So it wasn't just a it wasn't just a Jordan thing. That was a nineteen ninety-two Summer Olympics in Barcelona first dream team vote. That team voted not to Christian Leitner, who was the college representative. He probably cast a vote. I'm just speculating. But the thing was it was a team effort that kept Isaiah Thomas off that team because of his actions, because of his play. And to continue on from the Jordan documentary to wrap all this up, one of the things that did catch my, my attention was when Michael Jordan was asked, 
if he had the chance to do it all again based on you know the accolades and you know the money I mean Michael Jordan's a billionaire everything that he's endured you know yes if I had the chance to do it all all over again he stated I, I, I don't know if I would want to be in this position I don't know if I would want to be considered a role model he said being in this position is like a game and that game is stacked against me and it's already set for me for failure he said there's no way that I I could win so to say that I want to endure all this again he said I just I don't think I don't think that I could I can do that and at first I was thinking you know I mean I can't say that I have any idea what that would mean but then you start thinking think about it like this since February you know we've been restricted our you know our lives have been altered our daily movements things that we take for granted have been on hold you know I would love to be able to go to a movie I love that I love live concerts I love getting out I love going to the gym all of that has been all of that has been changed now if you think about there are people celebrities per se a person like a Michael jo- Michael Jordan I was gonna say Michael Jackson may he rest in peace but a Michael Jordan a Barack Obama certain celebrities where they just cannot leave out of their homes for any reason you know they can't just say you know I'm gonna go to the mall I'm gonna go to the grocery store and get my own food or I'm I, I just want to I want to go to a fast food restaurant and just get a burger and fries they can't do this and you take somebody like Michael Jordan who is who has been in this situation for the last 40 almost 40 years where he can't just he can't live that normal it's it's not a normal life I know people focus like oh but he has you know billions of dollars but to me it's more than just about money it's it's about it's about your peace of mind to the point where you're so wealthy you can't just take your wife or your girlfriend your kids and just go for a walk in a park you just you know when your life is like that would you be willing to trade that would you be willing to give that up that's a good question if anybody want to respond to that please do I would love to hear your opinions on this I would love to hear your opinions on everything I said today or in the past and until next time this has been another episode of there's a system to this madness again I am your host Osase Shabazz God bless you all take care